Welcome to Spring of Life. My name is Mike Luzinski, and I serve as the lead pastor here. I'm so glad you're taking the time to grow in your faith through scripture, preaching, and the conversations on our podcast. Good Grief, a sermon series that starts with the premise of all experiencing grief and loss. Many people struggle with how to grieve well and how to offer support to others. In our conversation, we will define grief, explore God's relationship to it, and ground ourselves in the hope of the gospel, even when we experience loss and grief. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Psalm 23 is one of the most well-known passages in the entire Bible. And it's one that people turn to in some of the most intense moments of their lives. People turn to Psalm 23 at a bedside when the news from the doctor is not good. People turn to Psalm 23 during a memorial service while we weep and grieve the loss of someone we love. Why? What is it about the good news of Psalm 23 that has captured people's imaginations that is so compelling? What is it? We're going to sit with that over the course of our message today, and we're doing this as part of our Good Grief sermon series. You might remember, we started this by doing something quite simple, defining grief. Grief, according to the American Psychological Association, is the anguish experienced after significant loss. And part of what we've done in past weeks is expand our definition of grief to say it's it could be the death of someone you love. It could be all the secondary losses that you can't spend time with them or call them on your way home from work or, or celebrate a holiday with them. It could be a divorce, a, a, a losing of a pet, an illness, a loss of physical ability, infertility, moving to a new place, your children moving out of the house. could be the loss of a dream. could even be accompanied by positive things. There's grief even in the promotion. There's grief even with the birth of a child. All of those things are examples of grief. And then last week, you might remember that Jesus too knows grief. We read the story of Lazarus, 
and the way Jesus stepped into grief and how that experience led to resurrection and new life. Today, we're focusing with Psalm 23 on holding on to hope. And I see our children aren't quite with us yet, so we're going to skip the question for the kids and hopefully we'll come back to it later. So, For our conversation today, because we have six verses, I figured we'd have a little bit more of a Bible study format to go through each of these verses in this passage. I want to start us with verse six, because I think it shapes the way we view this whole psalm. The psalm ends with, surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You know, the house of the Lord, what does that mean? Hmm. Hey, children, do you know what the house of the Lord means? If you do, raise your hand and and tell me. Do you know where we are right now? Who Who can raise their hand and tell me where we are? Yes. We're in church, and church is the house of the Lord. And so... At the very end of this psalm, we see this amazing claim. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, if we were translating that into our experience, I will live with God in church forever. Now, I'm not saying that means we literally have to be inside a church building, but it does make a strong statement about doing life in community and doing life with Jesus. Think about the, the most frequent times you've been in the house of the Lord. Have you seen other people <laughs> with you? You know, 95 or more percent of the time that we're here, we're here with a group of people. We're in the house of the Lord. We are in community. That's just how it works. And there's another part of this passage, uh, this verse, unfailing love uh, that's a Hebrew word called hesed, uh, which, which essentially is covenant love or, or the type of love that a parent gives a child, where it doesn't matter how many times you mess up, how many times you fall short, that love is abiding and that love will continue and nothing can change it. This A New Living Translation is different than the King James. Uh, Some of you maybe have memorized this psalm, and usually we, we, we memorize it in the King James format, or that's the most often I've seen, and it says, goodness and mercy will follow me. But this translation says, God's unfailing love will pursue me. There's a, there's a big difference between following someone, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going, to, I'm turning left down Narcusi and we're going to stop at this restaurant. Okay, good, I'll follow you. Versus pursuing, <laughs> you can see, if I'm pursuing you, I'm trying to catch up to you. I'm, I'm trying as quickly as I can to be completely present with you. Very different than just following along. God's love is pursuing you. And this communal aspect of grief is an important part of grief. Uh, You know, 
many times people feel isolated or lonely in their grief. Uh, this week I was reading one of the, the grief books that I was required to read as a chaplain uh, when I was training for that. And I pulled out a quote from that book that says, the resolution of grief requires the presence of other persons. In other words, part of how we handle and respond to grief in a healthy way requires the presence of other people over a, a, a duration of time. You know, it's not, grief isn't something that we can just heal from completely on our own in isolation. We need other people to help us with this process. And that takes us back to verse 1. Let's say it together. It's so good. And we're going to say it in the New Living Translation, slightly different than what you might expect. Can we put it up on the screen? Verse 1. All right. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. This is a countercultural idea. Both halves of this verse are pretty surprising. You know, when we say the Lord is my shepherd, who are we <laughs> in that statement? Yeah, yeah, it implies that we're sheep. And you don't have to know too much about sheep to know that they need a lot of love, they need a lot of direction, they need a lot of support, they're somewhat helpless. You know, if, if we're being fully honest, it's not the most flattering comparison that we've ever made. We are like sheep, and we need someone that's going to shepherd us, guide us, and protect us. And then the second half of the verse is also very countercultural. I have all that I need, or I shall not want. You and I are bombarded with thousands of messages a day that are telling us that we need other things, that our lives would be better if we had this or that, and I shall not want, says that we don't need those things. We, we already have enough. God has given us enough. What does that enough look like? Well, verse 2, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. You know, it's hard not to read that and think, oh, what a beautiful scene of tranquility. But remember, we have to view this from the perspective of a sheep. Sheep need water. Sheep need grass. Sheep need protection from predators. God is providing all of the basic necessities of a sheep. God is providing the basic necessities that we need. Food, water, shelter, being part of a community. And God does this in verse 3. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. This is part of God's protection, God's, God's leadership of us. To say, Jesus takes us to places that we can't get on our own. This also means, from the perspective of the sheep, that we don't always get to go to the place that we wanted to go. The path that Mike wanted to go might be different 
than the path that the good shepherd is leading me on. The same is true for, for all of us. And we wrestle with that. Verse 4. This is the, the heart of the passage. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or in the King James Version, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. I fear no evil, for you are close beside me. You're with me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Sticking with this, this metaphor and, and focus of being a sheep, what I hear in this verse, really powerful truth, when I'm at my most broken, my most vulnerable, my worst, God is with me. God is caring for me. God is protecting me. And God is leading me forward through what? Through a valley. Think about the geography of a valley. If you were to pass through a valley, regardless of what direction you go, eventually you'll go down into the darkest part and you'll come back out at some point on the other side. That image of the valley has that implicit truth that the valley's not forever. You won't be in the valley forever. God will guide you through to the other side. To summarize this verse, it's a reminder of who God is, and it's a reminder of who we are. Holding on to those truths can be a tremendous gift and a tremendous source of hope in seasons when we feel powerless, out of control, and it's tempting to completely give up and maybe just as tempting to try to take every matter into our own hands and solve all these problems depending on which way you tend to skew in moments of difficulty and grief. Verse 5, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Do you notice the tension between verse 4 and verse 5? Even in the darkest valley, my cup overflows with blessings. Whoa! How did we get from the darkest valley to the blessings so quickly? You know, it's a reminder that, that both things can be true at the same time. That God is is preparing an abundance. God is not just barely meeting our basic needs. God's preparing more than enough. God is choosing us. That symbol of anointing was a way of, of recognizing that God has chosen and selected someone. God's chosen us, and God is providing. And all of that can happen 
even when we feel like we're stuck in the valley, even when we feel that our enemies are closing in. Have you ever heard of the hymn, It Is Well? Yeah? Raise your hand if you've heard of that. Okay, most people have heard of it. Does anyone know who wrote the, the lyrics, the name of the person who did, who did that? Yeah, Horatio Spafford. Uh, he's the one who wrote that hymn. And maybe you're familiar with the story of what happened in his life that led to the writing of that very profound hymn. He was working and ended up having to stay late to attend to business while his wife and four daughters got aboard a boat heading from America to, I think, England. And while they were on that journey, their boat collided with another vessel and it sank. And all four of his daughters were washed out to sea and drowned. During his voyage from America to, to England, to Europe, he wrote these lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows and sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. These lyrics are some of the most profound and powerful uh, hymns written in the last 200 years. And Horatio had a way of living out the truth of Psalm 23. The deep pain of the darkest valley and this surely would have been the darkest valley in his life, and the truth of God's unfailing love, the truth that God is with us and guiding us, can be true all at once. We turn to this passage in moments of greatest need because it, it tells us who God is, and it tells us who we are, especially in moments when we're out of control. We turn to this passage because it reminds us that we're not alone in moments that we desperately need community, that we desperately need faith. We turn to this passage because it confirms a truth that we are prone to forget, that God's failing love pursues us. We can't outrun it. It will be chasing after us. We turn to this passage because it helps us hold on to hope, the deep hope we have in Jesus Christ. So remember, when you feel alone, the unfailing love of God pursues you. When you feel empty, the streams of peace by the Holy Spirit will fill you. When you feel weak, May the strength of God renew you, and may you hold on to hope. Let us pray. Lord, you are.
the Good Shepherd. We acknowledge the weight of grief and loss and tragedy. We acknowledge it's often too much for us to bear. So we offer it up to you, asking for you to shepherd us and embrace us. Lead us forward by the power of your unfailing love and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have questions or want to talk further about this message, I'd love the chance to talk with you. Visit us online at springchurch.org connect or email me at pastormike at springchurch.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.